The doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked. Imagine you were one of Jesus' disciples in the days after his death. You've seen your master betrayed, arrested, beaten, and killed. You're worried that you'll be next, that there'll be a knock at the door and soldiers will come to take you away and put you up on a cross. It's Sunday morning, the third day you've been in hiding. You're huddled in a locked room with the other followers of Jesus, listening for footsteps of soldiers and occasionally peeking out from the heavy curtains. You've heard some odd things from some of the women and Peter, who ventured out to the tomb but found the stone rolled back and his body gone. You don't understand what it all means. You're afraid for your lives, so you're hiding together behind locked doors. Suddenly, Jesus is standing right among you. Where'd he come from? How is he here? Are we seeing a ghost? Jesus says, Peace be with you. It's really him. He shows you his hands and his side. The wounds are there, but he's alive. He's risen from the dead. Again, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He makes you from being a disciple, a follower, into an apostle, one who is sent. Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you won't have to do it alone. You're going to have help. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes on his apostles, just as God breathed life into Adam in the Garden of Eden. The risen Christ breathes on you. When have you felt a breath from God filling you? He does it each moment. Each breath you take is a gift from God. But sometimes something happens to make you more aware of the gift. You receive some good news that dispels your anxiety. The test results come back negative. Or your nephew calls home from Afghanistan to say that he's safe and doing fine. You experience healing or relief from your pain. A new relationship comes into your life like a breath of fresh air. You cradle your new child or grandchild in your arms. In moments like those, your world changes. Suddenly you have hope and new life. Those moments aren't just happy circumstances. They're a breath from God, a touch of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Spirit work in your life? He does exactly what his name says. The Holy Spirit makes you holy. He gives you gifts to, to serve others. He breathes faith into your life. He gives you the ability to trust God's promises. That's the best Easter gift of all. The gift of a renewed relationship with the one who fills your lungs with life. He speaks peace to you and sends you as his apostle. God wants you to tell others about the new life we have in Jesus. But sometimes you and I are reluctant apostles. We don't want to go out of our way. We prefer to stay in our locked rooms. Someone else can tell people about Jesus. 
we can find other people to be missionaries and preachers, can't we? Isn't it the job of the pastors to spread the good news? We don't have to do it ourselves, do we? I remember seeing a sign above the exit from a church that said, You are now entering the mission field. You see, the mission field is not just in Spain and Africa and Asia. It's right outside our doors. Jesus calls each one of us to be a missionary. So often people tell me it would be way out of their comfort zone to talk about their faith with someone. You say, well, I, I wouldn't know what to say. They might not appreciate it. What if they were offended? Or what if they made fun of me? Besides, isn't faith a private matter? Something you keep close to you? No. Faith in Jesus Christ is not private. It is a relationship, so it is very personal, but it's never private. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. Jesus wants you to tell others about him. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, Jesus says, to the first apostles and to you and me today. I want you to be my witnesses, he tells us. And so I breathe on you the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to do, Jesus says. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As Christians, we are called to forgive sins. That's a high calling. We announce God's forgiveness to one another and to others who need to hear it. I don't know anyone who doesn't need forgiveness. Do you? God calls us to live as forgiven and forgiving people. We are to share the forgiveness that we have received. A few years ago, I got to see a film called The Power of Forgiveness. In it, Elie Wiesel says, There are two kinds of forgiveness. The forgiveness we receive from God and the forgiveness we give to one another. When you forgive someone for something they have done against you, it allows you to let go of the pain in that memory. Alexandra Saley says, If we let go of the pain in the memory, we can have the memory, but it doesn't control us. When memory controls us, we are puppets of the past. When you forgive someone, you don't forget what happened. You may need to have boundaries around yourself so the person doesn't hurt you again. But when you forgive, you no longer allow the pain of the past to control you. Forgiveness frees you from the cycle of anger and the desire for vengeance. One of the stories that, of forgiveness that the film lifts up is the Amish school shooting that happened in 2006. Five Amish girls were killed and five others wounded right in their classroom. Shortly after that, members of the community went to visit the parents of the shooter to let them know that they had forgiven them. Their ability to forgive is based on their deep faith and the power of community to support them when faced with devastating challenges. Forgiveness is woven into the fabric of the Amish culture. 
This doesn't mean that they don't feel pain, grief, and anger. It means that each day they practice forgiveness, and their anger is not continuously fueled by resentment and the desire for revenge. Jesus says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Forgiveness ultimately comes from God. We just share it with each other, like beggars who have found bread. Now, if someone doesn't accept the bread, they can't eat it. In the same way, people who don't repent, who don't turn back to God, are not forgiven. Even if you forgive someone for something they've done against you, your relationship isn't restored until they turn back to you. You can't have a renewed relationship with someone if that person won't even talk to you. It's the same with God. Repentance results in restored relationship. Now, repentance isn't something that we manufacture in ourselves. It's something that God works in us. The word of forgiveness usually comes before repentance. As Peter proclaimed in our reading from Acts, God exalted Jesus as leader and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance is a gift that comes from hearing God's word. Through the word, the Holy Spirit works on us to bring us back to God. True repentance happens not just once, but daily. Each day, the Holy Spirit brings us to faith, forgives our sins, and calls us to witness. In his small catechism, in the part where he explains the Apostles' Creed, uh, the, we believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Christian Church, Martin Luther points out that daily in this Christian church, the Holy Spirit abundantly forgives all sins, mine and those of all believers. Sin is not just bad things you've done or good things you haven't done. Sin is ultimately about being blind to what God is doing through Jesus. At its heart, sin is unbelief and the actions that result from it. The Holy Spirit exposes our unbelief. He confronts and convicts us of our sin, and then he speaks the word to us to give us forgiveness through Jesus. We are set right with God through Jesus' death and resurrection. Then we are sent, just like the apostles, to forgive others. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. The tricky part about praying that part of the prayer is the little word, as. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Once when I was teaching a class on the Lord's Prayer, a man said, shouldn't it be the other way around? Help us forgive as we have been forgiven? If we're only forgiven as much as we forgive others, we'd be in trouble. Yes, I said, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Maybe that's the point. Perhaps 
praying, forgive us as we forgive, can help open our eyes to how much God loves and forgives us. Despite our rebellion against God, despite our neglect of our relationships with him and our neighbors, despite our misuse of God's good creation, God still loves and forgives us. He will never stop loving us and chasing after us. Because we have been forgiven so much, we can tell others, your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. You and I weren't in the room when Jesus appeared to his disciples, but he includes us in his words. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Forgive people's sins. God wants us to tell people that forgiveness and life are found only in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus into our locked hearts to speak your peace to us. Too often we are slow to believe and reluctant to share your good news. Forgive, forgive us for being timid, faithless apostles. Breathe your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might be forgiven and forgiving people. Send us out as witnesses to your steadfast love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.